What is your theology of creation? Now would you turn to Genesis and read to me, In the beginning God created. Let you think more about creation God talk as you listen to Jacob Krauss give us some music. I don't want to be rich, don't want to be popular, don't want to be selfish, no. I don't want to be a goat, don't want to be ignorant, don't want to be blindfolded, I just want to be. Countercultural. I don't want to be violent, don't want to have a vendetta, don't want to be vengeful, no. I don't want to be a soldier, don't want to be militaristic, don't want to help that cycle, I just want to be a countercultural pacifist. I don't want to be a racist, don't want to be a capitalist, don't want to be sexist, no. I don't want to pass judgment, don't want to hold grudges, don't want to be hateful, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditional lover. I don't want to shop at Walmart, don't want to grow Monsanto, don't want to drink Coca-Cola, no. I don't want to burn petrol, don't want to eat perfect fruit, don't want to feel guilty, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditionally loving organic gardener. I want to be authentic, I want to be radical, I want to be optimistic, honest, beautiful, I want to be humble, I want to be progressive, I want to be open, I'm inspiration, I want to be like John Wesley, or Sarah Major, or Anna Mao, I want to be like Martin Luther, or Martin Luther King Jr., like Santa Claus, Johnny Appleseed, Dirk Dillon, or Gandhi, Alexander Mack, John Klein, George Fox, Jesus Christ, but mostly, I just want to be me. I just want to be me. Nate Inglis is an assistant professor of theological studies at Bethany Seminary, and he was interviewed by Jonathan Stauffer for Messenger Magazine. Jonathan is a current student there. You can read the interview in the April issue of Messenger or online at brethren.org messenger. But we have the more personal audio version right here for you. It is thought-provoking and just what you needed to hear today. Hello, Dunker Punk listeners. I'm Jonathan Stauffer, a second-year student at Bethany Theological Seminary in the Master of Arts program. On this special Earth Day podcast, I'm talking with Professor Nate Inglis. He's the Assistant Professor of Theological Studies at Bethany Theological Seminary. Hello, Nate. Glad to have you. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Now, many of our listeners may have heard the term theology before, but they could have varying ideas of what that means. 
Since you're a professor of theology, how would you describe the discipline of theology? Well, a lot of people talk about theology as faith-seeking understanding. And in that sense, I think of theology more as a spiritual practice than a discipline. Uh, when you think about prayer or worship or service to others, theology, like those, is just kind of another, another part of faith, the practice of trying to articulate your faith. So when you ask or try to answer questions like, why do brethren practice the love feast? Or what does Jesus' commandment to love our neighbors or our enemies mean in the world today? Those are theological questions. And I think the more that we can articulate answers to those, the more consistent we can live out our values as well. So why did you decide to study theology? I've always been interested in learning more about the Christian faith and getting a deeper understanding of my own faith. It's, it's really often been a question about uh, how do we live out Jesus's ministry? How do we be disciples of Jesus in our world? There's so many new questions and so many new concerns. How does Jesus's gospel relate to our world today? So to me, theology is really about working out and articulating some of those answers. Nate, you taught a course this past fall at Bethany Seminary called Ecological Theology and Christian Responsibility. And I had the opportunity to take that class with five other students. So what can you tell us about ecological theology? What does it consider? It really focuses more on thinking about faith in light of the natural world, in light of the created world. And for a lot of Christian history, especially since the, the Reformation, theology is focused primarily on the, the human drama of sin and salvation. And the earth, the world, ended up just kind of being the stage that that took place on. Sure. But a lot of theologians didn't really think much about the earth at all. So what ecological theologians are doing more today is really focusing on what is the significance of, of the world and how does God relate to the world? And most importantly, in some respects, uh, what is our responsibility as Christians or as humans to, to the earth and to the world that we live in? So that's kind of, in a nutshell, what ecological theology is. It's really thinking about the same theological questions, but thinking about them in relationship to the created world. Yeah, and I, I definitely gained that perspective from taking your class, and it's caused me to think a lot about both how God interacts with the world, like he said, and as well as what is my responsibility in that. And I know one of the things that you've brought up in your class and, and some of the talks you've done is the kinship model. Could you explain more about what that what that's about? Well, a lot of times when people think about creation care, they think about it uh, in terms of a, a sort of stewardship where the earth is considered sort of like property to be managed. And so the idea is that, well, the earth or the, the created world is God's property and we're supposed to somehow take care of it. And that's, that's an, it's, it's a fine perspective. But when I look at the Bible, what I see is that God relates to creation, not as property, but in a loving relationship to, to the whole of creation. And so what I think is, if that's how God relates to the world, uh, maybe that's how we ought to think about relating to the world as well. So kinship is another way of really thinking about our relationship to the 
world as, as kin, as relatives, as relations with the earth, with other animals, with other plants, really with other, other life on earth. In that respect, I, I feel like it opens up new possibilities to really be able to take that, that kind of relational communal responsibility that we have toward other humans and expand that to the rest of the greater world as well. So it's really an idea of getting at me what I see as being more uh, closer to the heart of God and what God thinks about the world and then living that out ourselves as well. The creation is something to relate to, not to, not to manage or to own, primarily from, from a Christian point of view. And I like that idea a lot. Now, a lot of Christians read the Bible and are always looking to the Bible as an authority for answers in life. Are there things in the Bible that speak to stewardship or a kinship with the earth? I, I think that the Bible is just full of references to, to creation and really to the way humans interact with it. So stewardship, kinship, I, all of these ideas are throughout the scripture from beginning to end. Sometimes people will just focus on the first three chapters of Genesis as, as sort of the story of creation. And that's definitely an important source. But when you move beyond Genesis, you see other parts in the Bible that are really interesting as well. Like, I, I'm particularly fascinated by Psalm 104 mm-hmm. and Job chapters 38 to 41. These are passages that really talk about and really focus on that, that understanding of God really relating to and loving and take, taking a deep concern for all parts of creation. The earth as a whole, um, the, the water, the mountains, the animals, the plants. God cares for all of these things in profound ways that don't always directly relate to the way that we care for or, or have interests in these things. Uh, it's as if God has unique and independent relationships to every different type of creature in the universe. And we're, of course, a very important one of those. Mm-hmm. But we're not, we're not the only part of creation that God cares about. And I think that's a great, a great sentiment to get from, from the Bible. And especially those sort of passages, uh, they really, they, they can offer a different perspective. It definitely makes me think about sort of how we've traditionally seen humans as the center role, if you will, on the stage of the world, but that there are other parts of the Bible that, that yeah, that say that, well, maybe we're just a, we're, we're a bigger part of a grander thing that God's doing. Before coming to Bethany, you and your spouse served in Guatemala through Brethren Volunteer Service. How was your experience in Guatemala shaped your faith in ecological theology? Well, one thing it really did, I mean, spending two years in a rural village in Guatemala, it really reshaped my sense of what's what's necessary and what's superfluous. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, there were so many, so many times, like, you know, we I, there were problems that, that I had to solve and I couldn't just sort of you know, go to the store to buy something to solve it. I had to work with the things I already had had on hand. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the biggest lessons I learned uh, in, in my faith and in my thinking about ecology is, is, I mean, one of the things was just really relying on a community of other people to to help 
when uh, I had problems and I couldn't solve them myself. So there was a real sense of reliance and community there. Uh, there was also a sense of really seeing very clearly uh, my ecological footprint in ways that uh, I, I, I haven't always been aware of in the United States. Uh, there was no trash service, you know, to pick up the garbage that you created. Mm. So you really saw, like, literally how much garbage you created every week, and uh, you had to deal with that. You had to uh, filter all the water that you drink. So wow. every day you kind of know, like, wow, this is how much water I use. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even the, the main food in, in Guatemala is corn. And in our village, people... They, they grow the corn, they have to pick and dry the corn, they have to mill the corn, uh, they have to cook the corn, all to make tortillas, which is the center of their diet. And so being a part of that process, you really see, you see so clearly the, the, the work and the labor and the sort of backstory to a lot of the things we take for granted here uh, in, in our dealing with trash and water and food and and things that, that are often hidden from us. So I really learned a lot about my ecological footprint as well. And another really interesting thing that happened while we were there is that a group of high school kids, they came down to visit from our, our home congregation in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And they came down and they, 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 they traveled with some high school students from our village. So the Americans and the Guatemalans, they traveled together and we went with them. and. We went to a place called the Institute for Mesoamerican Permaculture. Hmm. And it was a place where they really teach integrated techniques of doing gardening and, and farming. And they learned about school gardens. And then they went back and the Guatemalan students, they spent the rest of the school year designing and building this beautiful organic garden at their school where they grew food and then they, they brought it home to their families. And the best part was that they built this entire garden and they didn't spend a cent. They built it entirely without needing any money. So they went around the community and they collected all the seed from plants that were already growing. Mm -hmm. And they went around and they found materials that people had that they didn't need. And they, they even, you know, they made a raised bed garden and to raise the bed, they cut down the, the stumps of banana trees. And they, they laid them down around to create this, this raised garden bed. Mm -hmm. And so the entire garden they made for free. And that just to me was an inspirational example of what you can do if you have creativity and you really think about how to use things you already have in new ways. Yeah, that's an amazing story. And it does make me think about in North America, how we're used to, yeah, going to like a lumberyard or, or, stores to get what we need and not just necessarily going about using what we have and creativity, our gifts to, to make a better world, which makes me think more about connections between the environment and, and justice and, and even like mm -hmm. poverty issues, how that's all tied in. Could you say more about, about ways that you've seen connections between justice and environment? Well, I, I think sometimes people think that if you care about the environment, then you must not care about people. Like, it's sort of an either-or type thing. But uh, the more I learn, the more I really have realized that it's actually oftentimes the, the exact opposite. 
we we sometimes can't see the the complete consequences of the environmental destruction that happens but a lot of times the people who bear the biggest brunt of that are people who are poor or marginalized in the United States or in the, the global south and other parts of the world and that's a really it's a really important thing to remember when, when thinking about this issue I think I mean one example is there's this this place in Louisiana called Cancer Alley. Mm. And it's called that because there's these, these little towns that, that are surrounded by chemical plants that were built all around them. And because of the exposure to the chemicals, the people there have a disproportionate rate of cancer. Mm. Uh, they just, they, these, these, these factories, they weren't built in wealthy areas or middle-class areas, that whole kind of not-in-my-backyard mentality ended up pushing them into poor communities, and especially poor communities of color. And so these communities and these people living there, they really are suffering the effects of these chemical plants in the ways that, that wealthier areas are able to avoid. And I, it's that way with many different types of ecological exploitation, deforestation, uh, exploitation of minerals. That was something that was happening in Guatemala. A lot of mining companies will go down there for for gold and other valuable um, valuable minerals, and they'll go into communities and try to set up shop even against the will of people who live there. So yeah, again and again, I feel like uh, oftentimes the connection between environmental justice and human rights can go hand in hand. Yeah, it definitely sounds like that it goes beyond just economic class lines. It's also can connect with racial issues. It connects with all kinds of social ills that we're still experiencing. And so from what I'm gathering, it sounds like that if we address human issues, we at the same time can also address environmental issues and vice versa. Yeah, I, I, I believe that's the case, that um, we don't have to see these things as disconnected. But really, as we think about ways to serve others and ways to work toward creation care, these, these goals can often, they can often be in alignment. They can often be uh, achieved through the same, the same projects. If, again, we kind of think creatively and think smart about, about what we want to do. Definitely. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit. We've talked about in ecological theology, about the ways of being practical. And so I wanted to connect that to the Church of the Brethren. Are there, are there gifts and traditions that you see within the Church of the Brethren denomination that could be offered towards creation care? There, there's so many things about the, the, the Church of the Brethren and about Brethren that really inspire me and I think could be wonderful contributions to to the Christian discussion about stewardship and, and creation care. First of all, I, I just, I've always been so inspired by brethren, their, their commitment to service and their willingness to help other people in need. And I, I think that goes right along with the, the connection between creation care and, and helping human need. Another thing that I think is just a profound contribution is the, the ideal of simple living. So many people in environmental movements talk about, but I, I think we all have, have trouble realizing its full potential, like really 
what does simple living, what can it really mean? But, you know, I think the brethren just have a lot of possibility to bring this idea as, as, as a religious practice to the conversation. I, I remember hearing a story once about Dan West, and I, I don't remember the details, but he, he refused to have more shoes than he needed uh, because he thought it was excessive. And he even refused to eat cake because so many people in the world were going hungry. And I think that really epitomizes the sort of the ideal of simple living in, in, in a brethren understanding. And I mean, there's a lot of important ways that we can think about living in a more environmentally sustainable way by using technology, like say solar panels or electric cars. But to me, the fundamental thing, maybe the best way that we can have a positive impact on the environment is to refuse to consume things that we don't need. And that really, to me, gets at the heart of what simple living is all about. Yeah, that's a great, great insight. There is that spiritual practice of reflecting on what is exactly my needs and, and as compared to like wants or even excesses. So yeah, I definitely agree with that point. And and wonder maybe ways that we can expand on that more from our faith tradition. Mm -hmm. What are some other ways that you can see congregations getting involved with, with caring for God's earth? Well, I, I think there's so many ways that congregations can get involved. And often at the congregational level, it's, it's where we can see the biggest impact. You know, we can do... I mean, certainly we can we can raise money for for other groups, but we can also get practically involved. You know, we can use our hands and feet and really really see the practical benefits of our efforts. But you know, to me, I I think one of the best ways that congregations can do that is to find an organization in the community that's already doing the sort of environmental advocacy work that that your church is interested in mm -hmm. and partnering with them. I think a lot of times things can get discouraging when we try to reinvent the wheel and start some project from scratch. Sure. And especially if someone's already doing that, uh, I think it's a great way to support another good effort that's already happening. And incidentally, you can, you can build relationships with people in your community that share your own or, or at least share similar ethical values. Mm -hmm. And you can do so even if they, you know, they're not a part of your, your congregation. So it, to me, it seems like a way to really work with something that's already happening, do the work you want to do, and really build bridges with like-minded people around you. Yeah, that's a great point, too, of getting out beyond the church walls, being the church in the community, proclaiming the good news in a way, in a new context. That's profound. Well, I want to thank you for this excellent conversation today, Nate. I think given us a lot to think about ways that we can connect with our faith to God as well as our time that we have on earth and living with one another. I want to thank you again for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. If theology can be defined as faith-seeking understanding, then maybe we can define echo-theology as creation-seeking understanding. Surely the needs of the earth could be better understood by the humans who seem to be bent on using it up. Doesn't it feel that way to you?
The earth seems to groan under the weight of humans at times, yet we are all part of God's creation. For this Earth Day podcast, I'd like to center our thoughts on the concept of God loving creation and loving it into being. Nate said, as if God has unique and independent relationships with every one of those creatures, creation, everything. Humans tend to imagine God in the shape of the human and divine reality of Jesus. And we are encouraged by the concept that God has unique and independent relations with us. Don't you agree? So why wouldn't God have the same relationship with all that God has created? And if we can't imagine relationships in that quantity or in such diversity, then maybe our God is too small, which is so often the case. And after all, how could we imagine anything on a God scale? Nate and Jonathan's conversation allowed me to travel in my imagination and think of love as the center of God's relationship with earth, in addition to love being at the heart of how we think about God and humanity. And then the two of them brought me right down to earth with talk of Guatemala and using everything, wasting nothing, and refreshing humans and earth with our growing. I felt inspired to think that my often poor attempts at gardening could be a beginning for the way I too can love the earth. Now that's the way to celebrate Earth Day with love. And we can add our hands and feet to our love by joining conservation and cleanup efforts wherever we find people already working in our neighborhoods. Thanks, Nate, for not making us reinvent every effort when there are so many good groups out there working hard on our environment. But maybe it'll be a dunker punk bold idea or a dunker punk scientist who discovers ways to absorb the excess carbon dioxide we produce. And dunker punks can join work to reforest parts of the earth. There are so many ways to express our love for our home planet. I feel empowered to go out and do something, small or big, as long as I'm loving the place where I'm living. So what will you do for Earth Day and every day beyond? Plant a tree? Count up your carbon footprint? Better still, find others to work with in your efforts to love the earth in any way you choose. The part of Psalm 104 mentioned by Nate has always been a favorite of mine. I can almost see the whales breaching and dolphins swimming in the ship's wake when I hear it. The earth is full of your creations. And then there's the sea, wide and deep, with its countless creatures, living things both small and large. There go the ships on it, and Leviathan, which you made, plays in it. Let's join the Leviathan, Dunker Punks, and play in all that we love. Thank you, Jonathan and Nate, for inspiring us to action for Earth Day. Jonathan Stauffer served as advocacy assistant at the Office of Public Witness, and he primarily focused on environmental stewardship as well as poverty and hunger issues, I got to know Jonathan then and watched as his already passionate environmentalism developed into his own theology of the earth. The next regular episode of the Dunker Punk podcast airs at the end of April and features the current director of that same office of public witness, Nate Hostler. He'll be introducing his series of episodes on displaced peoples. The Dunker Punks podcast is a collaboration amongst a dozen or so contributors who believe that whatever way we live in the world makes a significant impact. 
I produce the show with Suzanne Lay, who edits the audio, and Jacob Krause, who makes our music. You can support the show by commenting on our Facebook page, retweeting a show post, follow us on Snapchat, or leave a rating on iTunes. Our username on social media is DunkerPunksPod, and our show page is at arlingtoncobb.org dpp. And now, Dunker Punks, God bless you in all your efforts to love the earth, this earth day and every day beyond. Amen. Unconditionally loving organic gardener.